Good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast and the class today is dedicated in loving memory and Leilun Yishmat. Esther Bat Victoria Alea Shalom, sponsored by the Shuai family. Um, and as well, the, uh, we have the week of Kobru sponsored by Michael Dweck and Sunny Nakin. Ashrechem Israel. Thank you so much, each and every one uh, who participates in uh, sponsoring these the classes and as well the breakfast. It's a, it's a zechut to help people start off their day in the most beautiful way. The Pasuk says uh, about Adam, about Abraham Avinu, God says to Abraham Avinu, walk before me, tamim. What does the word tamim mean? Naive. Tamim can mean naive, and the Torah doesn't mean naive. What does it mean? Complete. Complete. We find that word already actually by Noach as well. Noach ish sadiq tamim ayabdotav. So Abraham is told by God, walk before me, tamim, and be perfect, be complete. Okay? Rashi on the spot says something which is very interesting. Rashi says that the Pasuk, if you notice, when God tells him, God introduces himself. He says, Ani El Shaddai. I am God Shaddai Shin Daledu. That's, what it, that's the name of God. That's the name that God uses for himself. So Rashi says, and I'm, I'm sure we're all familiar with this concept. That God uses different names to indicate different uh, modes of operation. So we're familiar with the idea that when in the Pasuk it says Elohim, that means God acting in a mode of deen, of judgment. So as an example, um, when we talk about the Mabul, the destruction of the, of the world, it says Elohim, Bayomer Elohim El Noach, Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. When we talk about God forgiving, acting in mercy and kindness, then we use the name Yud Kevavke, because that illustrates Hashem's kindness uh, and that's how God is interacting with the world or choosing to interact with the world or an individual in that given moment. So what is this name of God? What does that mean? Rashi says, where does that name come from? Shin, Dalid, Yud. That name comes from the idea that he said to his world, enough. Now we use this name in other places as well. Where do we use it just now? In the tefillin. So we have, when we're wrapping the tefillin, you wrap, 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 you have the lines on the hand, that's a sheen, okay? It makes the shape of the sheen. In the knot of the back of the head, what do you have over there? You have the dalit, okay? If it's Ashkenaz, they have a square. But Sepharadim have a knot. The knot itself is in the shape of a dalit. And finally, in the side of the uh, of the tefillin, they have the letter Yud, spelling out the name Shin Dalad Yud, which means She'amal Olamo Daid. God said to His world, "Enough." So, what does that mean? What's the connection to tefillin? And as well, what is Hashem saying to Abraham Avinu in this pasuk? Rashi carries on and says, She'amal Olamo. I am the one that said to His world, "Enough." We'll explain what that means in a minute. And then it says, walk before me, and be perfect. What does it mean to be perfect? Rashi says, Kan al Here, he was commanded on the mitzvah of Brit Milah. That's what the word perfect means. 
Perfect means mahu. Perfect means when a person has a brit milah. So there's a lot of ideas flying around over here, and I want to draw them together. But what does this idea mean, she'amale olamodai, and what is its connection to brit milah and tefillin? And I think that there's a magnificent idea over here. The Gemara tells us that Rabbi Akiva was approached by a rasha, the Roman protectorate, whose name was Turnus Rufus. You know that guy? Got wedgies in school. Either way, his name was Turnus Rufus. Turnus Rufus turns up to Rabbi Akiva and he says, whose actions are better? God's actions or man's actions? He was hoping to trip up uh, Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva would say, God's actions are better. And what was his follow-up question going to be? If that's the case, why do you do Brit Milah on the creation of God? God made you like this. You should leave the body like that. Why are you uh, changing the body that God gave you? If God created a man with uh, this kind of a foreskin, it should not be taken off. You're intervening on the acts of God. Rabbi Akiva understood what Turnus Rufus is, uh, uh, you know, his end game was. And he said, the deeds of man are better than the deeds of God. Turnus Rufus says, what are you talking about? How could you say that? How could you, as a rabbi who believes in God, in, in an omniscient God, in a God that is all-knowing, and a God that sees into the future, how could you believe that about God? And Rabbi Akiva says, let me prove it to you. God gives us the trees that sprout from the earth. He gives us the grain that comes from the earth. What does man do with the grain? We turn it into bread, we turn it into pasta, into pizza, into ragalach, into cake, into cookies. What was better? The wheat? Or the cake. Of course the cake is better. You know, Marie Antoinette never said, let them eat kernels. Right? Of course the cake is better. Right? We understand that. So mankind's action is better than that of God. So effectively, Turnus Rufus looks at him and says, well, you answered the question of Milah, but now you're left with an even bigger question. You believe in God. You believe in the perfection of God. How is it that God created something that humankind could make better? And the answer, Rabotai, Rabbi Akiva, answered Turnus Rufus. He said, Of course, God's creations are perfect, but God allows for a space for humanity to improve upon his creation. And in that space where humanity improves on God's creation, that is what God is giving to man. Now, that is a very strange way of saying it, but I want to delve deeper into the words of Rabbi Akiva. What Rabbi Akiva was communicating was, was that when God created man, he created him with a yetzer hara, with a, a powerful desire to get up to all sorts of no good. The job of the human being would be to take that desire and to use it for his own benefit. Desire is not a bad thing. Desire has its place. When a man desires his wife and the process of that results in the fact that they have a child. So using desire in, the, in, the, in an appropriate context results in a creative act. When a person is not letting his desire operate within any sort of boundaries, that desire, the hedonism, actually winds up killing him. So he winds up being all over the place. He winds up destroying his marriage, destroying his family. And for what? What did he benefit from it? Nothing. Nothing that he could then ultimately hold on to. It's going to be something which disappears from him. So Rabbi Akiva was communicating to him is that God created man 
in a way where men would have the opportunity to be able to take the final step and to perfect God's creation. Rabbi Akiva's statement, I think, is cryptic, but I think it communicates something mind-blowing. So what's the answer in the end? It turns out that what, man made something better than God? How could that be? It sounds blasphemous. The answer, Rabotai, is you're looking the wrong way. You know, magicians, they have this unbelievable thing. It's called slate of hand. So they're holding, uh, you know, uh, a card in this hand. They go like this, and the card disappears. Where's the card? He tucked it into his fingers, turned his hands like this. The card is just in between his fingers facing this way. But his hands move so fast that you can't imagine that the, hand, that the card is anywhere but, because you thought you would have seen it. But we know, actually, that the hands move faster than the eyes. So what you're thinking about, okay, when the guy is moving so quickly, or he brings your, it's called misdirection, he brings your attention here, and he moves faster, the hand can move fast enough that the eye can't catch it, okay? Now, I want to focus on this for one minute. That this idea is really a form of misdirection. What's the misdirection? <clears throat> you're looking at the wheat and asking if God's deeds are better or humanity's deeds are better. And you're asking, how could it be that a human being could do something better than God could do? You're looking at this element of the foreskin of the milah and wondering, how could it be that we can improve upon the work of God? The answer is, you're looking at the wrong thing. Yes, it's true, God gave you a little bit of space to be able to improve upon His works. But that wasn't the test. That wasn't the product. You're the product. So you look at the earth and you wonder how could it be that God gave us something that isn't finished? The answer is because that's not the product. You're the product. That is there in your world to be able to give you a stage. Like Shakespeare said, the whole world is a stage for a person to be able to act their life out upon a stage to be able to interact with the world and to make that bread and instead of shoving in their mouth like an animal to say a beracha, to wash their hands, to purify themselves, to recognize where it came from. So God gives you the opportunity to make something special with what He gave you so that you could think it's yours. And in the process of beracha says, even though it looks like it's mine and I made it, I recognize where it really comes from. That's what it means where it says, that God says, Ani kel shakai. She'amal olamo dai means he said to his world, die. Where did he say to his world, die? God is making the world and he's expanding the world. And in each stage of creation, God had to decide when was it enough. So, as an example, when he's forming the world, how big should the world be? How much of the universe should our globe, should our earth take up? How close in the sun is coming close to the earth. How close should the sun be to the earth? When God is separating the dry water from the, land, the water from dry land, how much space should the water take up in the world? And how much space should the earth take up? God is creating the animals and the birds and the fish. How many should there be? Should, there, should the earth be overrun with creatures? Or should it, so in every area, God created a boundary. And the point was that there was a stage where that was just enough. So that's really what the Pasuk is communicating to each and every one of us. Hashem says to Abraham, He says, I'm going to give you this mitzvah of Brit Milah. And if you're wondering, 
if this is my will, because it was Avram that realized and discovered that although there were many forces in the world, all of those forces were governed by God. It was God that was in charge of everything. So if that was the case, why did God not just finish the Milah himself, create you already with the Milah? And the answer was, I'm the one who decides where things begin and where things end. I'm the one that decides, not just in quantity how many birds there will be, but in quality, how good a person will be. And I give each person the end, the job to be able to finish off. Rabotai, it's incumbent upon you and on me each day when we wake up to ask ourselves, God created me this way. He made me with my brains. He made me with a big heart, but he also made me a little hot under the collar. He made me angry. God made me someone who is, what's it called, who is uh, very generous, who, what's it, who gives siddhaqah to everybody. But he also made me someone that needs to have the kavod. I crave the kavod like other people crave food. I need the recognition. Recognize that that was part of Hashem's plan. That he was giving you a puzzle where half uh, of the puzzle pieces are already there. There's a few more pieces which are obvious. But there's always one or two pieces that are difficult to work out. And in the process, when the person does that, there's such a tremendous feeling of satisfaction. When the person can complete the puzzle, God says, I'm giving you all the pieces, but it's your job now to assemble them in an appropriate way. Therefore, the Pasuk says, Ani kel shakai, italech lefanai, walk before me and be complete. The tefillin rabotai is the same. We invoke Hashem's name as well with the Shin and the Dalit and the Yud. Why? Because the process of Tifilin is when a person is binding themselves, it's meant to be like rope. Like you're binding yourself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If God wanted you to be an angel, He would have made you that way. God wanted you to be a being that is apart from Him, that is driven away from Him by His desires, or her desires, by our wants and our needs and our pettiness. Hashem wanted you to be a creation that isn't naturally together with Him. But then He gave you the rope to be able to tie yourself to that person. Imagine you met someone who had the best mazal. You went, I don't know, to a, God forbid, you went to a casino, this one guy is winning all night. Has the best of everything he touches, he wins. Guy wins every lottery ticket. What do you do? You follow behind him, you choose the same numbers. <laughs> Right? The guy, he's going to let you take a rope, you tie your legs together. The guy can't get away from you. Tefillin is us recognizing that we, we were created with a few pieces out of place. It's up to us to fix those pieces. So when a person ties themselves to Hashem, it's a recognition of the fact that my deficiencies were created in a way where I step in and I fix them up. The great, there was a great rabbi whose name was the Ribnitzer Rebbe, and with this will end. The Ribnitzer Rebbe was someone who had a tremendously warm place in his heart for the Jews that lived in Russia. And he would seek out these Jews in Russia and try and provide them with opportunities, but specifically one of the most dangerous mitzvot to do in Russia before the fall of the Iron Curtain was the mitzvah of Brit Milah. Why? Two reasons. Number one, you go pray, you do a mitzvah, you, you, know, you do something, there's no residual and lasting uh, effect to be able to show that you did the mitzvah. So if you prayed this morning, or if you studied Torah, the KGB couldn't tell that you did the mitzvah, you know, and, and the next day when, they, when, they, when you came home. Brit Milah is literally a mark on the flesh. 
So if there was ever a time that they would check, they would know that you'd broken the law. That was number one. Number two, it also takes time for the baby to heal. So it's not like you could do the mitzvah quickly, you know, under the shadow of darkness and then just get on with your life. It was something that a person needed, you know, you need to spend a few days going, doing the brit milah, getting better. You'd have to disappear inexplicably. How'd you do it? So it was a big, big, big misirut nefesh. It was very dangerous. And people were very afraid to be able to do brit milah in the Soviet Union. Well, the Ribnitzer Rebbe came to Russia. And uh, in, in, in one of the villages that he came to, in one of the villages he came to, he saw a, uh, uh, a, uh, a, a family. And the family had a baby there, a young, a young child. And the Ribnitzer Rebbe he came to this, uh, to this, to this parents, and the, the, they said to him, you know, we really want to do the mitzvah of Brit Milah, but we're very afraid. How do we know that this is not going to be sakanat nefashot? And the Ribnitzer Rebbe said, listen, um, he says, I can't promise you anything. He says, but I could take it on my responsibility that nothing will happen. It's on me. I'll pray on my zechuyot, on my merit, on my, you know, I'm covering you, so to speak. For this, and I'll do every possible thing, and we will celebrate the bar mitzvah together of this child. As the Ribbitzer Rebbe says. This young couple, they, what's it called? They, uh, they think about it. They said, look, the rabbi is taking the responsibility. He's taking it on his merit, on his berachah. Okay, we're going to do it. They do the brit milah. Rabbi many, many years passed. And one day, the Ribbitzer Rebbe is in Eretz Israel. And he's driving down the street with his driver, and he says, make a left, make a right, make a left, make a right, make a left, make a right. Eventually, they wind up at this little small house. He sees a boy standing in front of the house. He calls him over. The boy comes over. He says, go tell your mother the Ribnitzer Rebbe is here. The Ribnitzer Rebbe, she, she says, wow, the rabbi came. She comes running outside. The Rebbe is here. They're screaming. They're shouting. They're smiling. They're crying. The family is all gathering around. Um, and they said, wow, what, why did the rabbi come you know, all the way to Netanya, to this area, you know, to be here with us today. The rabbi says, what do you mean, why did I come? Didn't I promise you that I'm going to come and we're going to celebrate the Brit Milah, the Bar Mitzvah of your son? 13 years later, the rabbi remembered. The family wasn't religious. They, you know, it wasn't a big deal for them that there was a Bar Mitzvah. The rabbi pulls up, he says, we promised, remember back then? They got back in the car and the rabbi said to his gabai, he says, Baruch Hashem, we got there in the nick of time. And he drives away. The gabai didn't understand what the rabbi meant. Until a few years later, they came to visit the rabbi in his house and the entire family had come back to Teshuvah. Rabbi Taibu, look at this pasuk. The pasuk says, Ani kel shakai. I am God and I decide where the boundaries begin and end. Do this mitzvah of Brit Milah. Every single person, men, women, and children, have this possibility of taking the things, the challenges, the deficiencies that they have, and completing the human story, the human experience, and making a person perfect. In this example, what the Ribbons of Rebbe had done is that they had gone into the most difficult scenario and they found inside themselves a courage to be able to practice their Judaism, to be proud of them, to do it even in a time of great danger. Coming back and communicating, just seeing the rabbi, seeing him turn up at the bar mitzvah, reminded them of how much power they had to be able to buck the system. 
And they asked themselves in their heads, the rabbi didn't need to say one word, just remembering the scene that they had back in the forests outside of the city in Russia, to remember that they had it within them to be able to fight the fight, to be able to perfect themselves, allowed them to remember if we could do it in Russia and we risked our lives, surely we could do it in Eretz Israel, in Netanya, where we have that opportunity. And so they did. Rabbi Abraham Avinu acquired for us in that moment the opportunity for each and every Jew, no matter what they are like, no matter how imperfect they are, the opportunity to understand that you can cut your desires, so to speak, you can cut your uh, pettiness, you can cut your anger, you can cut your jealousy, and you can become perfect. That is the opportunity that sits in front of each and every Jew. And Borei Olam says, if you ever get downtrodden and you're ever worried or you're ever upset or you ever feel small because of the challenges that you have in your life, remember, I made you that way. I decided how good you would be. I decided how many challenges you would have. This was the puzzle that I decided that you were built to be able to complete. Baruch Amen. Amen. Rabbi Chananya, Ben Akasha Omer. Ratzah Gadosh Baruch Hu, Zakot Seh